This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Health One. The Emergency Medical Minute and CarePoint hosted a panel with 10 speakers on a wide variety of topics. This is Dr. Dylan Leuten answering the question, does this patient have ACS? Two seemingly unrelated uh, topics. So the first one is uh, I'd like to kind of instill some some pearls about how to most effectively evaluate someone as to whether they're having an acute coronary syndrome. And I think it was Tad who requested uh, this topic. It was an MRAP, a medical legal briefs uh, from February of earlier in the year when they were looking at an ACS case. And a podcaster was kind of going through the value of certain historical elements and things in the assessment, and it's a little distressing. And so I thought I would kind of tackle this in an organized manner. So let's consider uh, two cases, and and uh, and uh, don't don't uh, need to uh, say anything about it right now. But uh, as we go through the lecture, think about how you would approach these patients. So the first case is a 42-year-old, uh, otherwise healthy female who presents to the ED with. 45 minutes of fairly typical crushing retrosternal chest pain. In the ER, the pain is completely resolved after a couple of nitro. Her EKG at that point is pretty unremarkable, and initial troponin is normal. Uh, contrast that with a second patient, a 74-year-old male, history of prior MI, uh, who comes in with several days of intermittent kind of burning retrosternal vague chest discomfort. His EKG shows signs of an old MI with Q waves inferiorly, uh, that were present on his prior EKG without any new changes. His, his initial troponin level is uh, is weakly positive, um, and so think in your mind sort of what how you would approach these two different patients and what how you would assess their probability of ACS. So. If you're not familiar with it, JAMA has this series of articles called the Rational Clinical Exam that are really good. Uh, and this was a, I'm going to reference a paper, a uh, meta-analysis of um, the assessment of chest pain from, from JAMA that's really very, very, very good. And really what we learned from that article is that there is no EKG historical or exam f- feature that is effective at ruling out ACS. Um, in fact, if you look at each one of the things that we put a lot of um, stake in, like they were sweaty or it radiated to their arm or they were short of breath or it was exertional or by contrast, it was pleuritic or it was reproducible, it turns out all of them perform very, very poorly in terms of their uh, predictive value. So risk factors, moderately helpful. And so if you're not familiar with likelihood ratios, the, a positive likelihood ratio tells you the likelihood of the patient who tests positive having the disease as opposed to the patient who tests negative. So a positive likelihood ratio is the sensitivity of a test over divided by one minus the specificity. And the reason likelihood ratios are a good way to express the um, probabilities associated with medical research is that it allows you to act as a multiplier against your pretest probability. So if you think the pretest probability eh, probably doesn't have the disease, maybe 10% chance, right? Then a positive likelihood ratio of 2.7 increases that rate to 27%, if that makes sense. So by the way, what is the prevalence of ACS in our ERs? Does anyone know? Um, and remember, when, you, when, when I say ACS, we're not talking about STEMI. Because when we see ACS, really what we're talking about is non-ST elevation coronary syndrome. So the prevalence is about 
Um, when you look at the, I think it was something like 50 papers that were included in this meta-analysis, their prevalence, disease prevalence, was about 13%. So in other words, most people we see and evaluate for the disease don't have the disease. 13% of chest pain, not 13% of all of our patients, right? Correct. People you're, you're, you're considering ACS in who you undergo a workup, whether it's an admission and a cath or whether it's a three troponins and two troponins in home, whatever it is, this patient population has ACS around 1 in 10. So it's a, it's a relatively um, uh, less common uh, outcome. So if you look at the, when you think about likelihood ratios and how to assess them, a, likelihood, a positive likelihood ratio to be useful needs to be significantly higher than two. And a likelihood ratio of one means it has obviously no change. And then a negative likelihood ratio, same proportions. Sometimes when you look at a, a positive likelihood ratio of a thing that's not associated with a disease, so for example, a pleuritic chest pain has a as a positive likelihood ratio of about, I think it's about 0.5, meaning if you have pleuritic chest pain, you can multiply your pretest probability by 0.5, essentially, if that makes sense. So to come back to having given that background, risk factor is not super helpful. It turns out that a history of an abnormal stress test and history of peripheral arterial disease are the only historical features they looked at that were had a positive likelihood ratio significantly higher than two. Um, specifically, physical exam is terrible. Um, all aspects of the physical, which is not surprising, you really don't need much of a physical exam to evaluate chest pain most of the time. But hypotension uh, was actually the, is the only uh, physical exam finding that they looked at. They look at RALs and S3s and murmurs and pulse pressure and all these things. It turns out hypotension is the only thing that has a significantly positive likelihood ratio. Yeah? Positive likelihood ratio. What about the negative likelihood ratio of like clearly reproducible, positional? Is that Excellent. Reproducible with palpation, a positive likelihood ratio of 0.28. Useful. So that's useful. Useful. So you can cut it by a you know, a quarter. That's far away. I couldn't see it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That, good. Good. Good point. So you, that's my next point. When you look at what clinical features, so the things we think about, like it radiates to the left arm, my jaw hurts, I'm sweaty, it's in my back, I'm nauseated, it was exertional, all these things, essentially un unhelpful. Um, all have likelihood ratios around one. So don't. Yeah, doesn't as very very poor predictive value for 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 the ultimate diagnosis of ACS. Bilateral arm radiation, which many of you may have heard before, is is the only really f historical feature that's very convincingly you know has a st strong positive likelihood ratio. Um, best performing, better than all of these historical physical exam or EKG findings, are the risk scores. So this is actually helpful. This is good news for us. So if you look at the heart score, the old-fashioned Timmy score, or a newer score that we don't use, which is the Australian-New Zealand Cardiothoracic Society score. It has a very long, um, long name. Um, if you have a high-risk heart score, so a heart score of 6 or greater, then that has a positive likelihood ratio of 13. So very, very powerful. Uh, a low risk score, so the zero to threes, which are most of the folks we're, we're typically evaluating in our low risk chest pain pathway, has a negative likelihood ratio of 
So the posterior probability or post-test probability associated with a low-risk heart score is actually very powerful and is better than almost any, better than any physical exam finding, EKG finding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the most predictive EKG score, which unfortunately is not super helpful, is the presence of ST depression as a positive likelihood ratio of five. So very strong. So if you have ST depressions on your EKG, that is a highly concerning finding. Yes. We hear a lot about how women may present differently. Yeah. That's Any a great. Does breakdown likelihood ratios on symptoms for men versus women? That's a great question. Not addressed in this. Not addressed in this. Uh, in this paper, but that's a great question. So you know, there the. Um, if you look at the single most uh, consistent complaint amongst females diagnosed with ACS, it is, do anyone know what it is? It's fatigue. So the fatigue is the most universally present, more, more prevalent than, um, than chest pain itself. All right, so to summarize, based on these facts that we kind of described, a rational approach is that really when we are considering ACS, and we should consider it liberally in our patient population, we should establish a pretest probability, and we should use the heart score. We should emphasize the heart score over any specific physical exam or historical feature that we might otherwise anchor on. For example, it's pleuritic. I think we're okay here. Or it's reproducible. I'm not sure we need to worry. A more consistent evidence-based approach is to simply apply a heart score and act accordingly. So let's evaluate those two cases that I put together. So the case one was the relatively young, healthy female with a normal EKG, but very typical symptoms that were relieved with nitro. So as we described, typical symptoms have a positive likelihood ratio of 1.3. So don't help you. Um, relief with nitro, completely unhelpful. Like positive likelihood ratio of 1.1, 1.2. Young, normal EKG, fairly predictive under the heart score. Negative troponin, she gets a score of 2. Her ACS rate is 2.6% based on the heart score literature. So this is a patient who is very unlikely to have ACS and should be likely discharged. Case 2, this is the older guy with more atypical symptoms, a history of an MI, an abnormal EKG, but nothing new, who has a mild troponinemia. So he has a heart score of six based on that assessment. His positive likelihood ratio is 2.4. Uh, so he's typically, he's actually technically intermediate risk according to heart score, greater than six would be high. And his posterior probability then of a baseline population, a baseline prevalence of the disease in this study of 13% gives him a posterior probability of over 26%. And this is a guy who, who almost, you know, most likely does have ACS and, and should be hospitalized. Questions? Uh, yeah, a bunch of questions. In in terms of uh, people with early discharge, the heart score only works with a single troponin. That's correct. If she comes in within two hours, would you still triptrope that person, even if her initial heart score is low? Great question. So the decision about serial troponins is more based on guideline behavior. You know, behavior. So our guidelines that we follow, whether it's ASAP or whether it's ACC, recommend serial troponins. But the evidence for the efficacy of serial troponins is actually very, very poor. If you look at the additional diagnostic yield of a second troponin, it's exceptionally poor. So when you look at folks who rule in, the vast majority are ruling in based on an initial abnormal troponin. I'm not advocating for not doing it, but it's important to realize we don't get much 
with our second troponins other than medical legal uh, comfort and potentially protection and a sense of confidence based on our guideline adherence. Yeah, it's a good question. Other question over here? So within the context of the heart score, I mean, you're not equating to each individual measure, right? Yeah. So if you have a, you have ST depression within, with your EKG, it doesn't matter what the heart score is. Or if you have a trope of Correct. five, it doesn't matter what the heart score is. Yeah. So yeah. certain things that might trump the heart score. Yes. Yeah. I, of course, a patient who use Anytime you apply a decision rule to a patient, what's implicit but not always stated is the is this usually the statement, I don't think the patient has the disease and I'm applying an excess rule or I'm doing a, you know whatever my, my risk tool is. So in a patient where you think the disease is present, whether it's Gestalt or EKG findings or a troponin of eight or whatever it is, it, it, it sort of everything goes out the window. Yeah, good, 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 good points. It's a form of pretest probability, right? It's pre-score yeah. probability, but it's kind of using a degenerative. It's irrelevant if the patient's had a PD before or whatever. Like yeah. You don't even need to run the test, but right. the pretest probability is high. So if their EKG shows ST depression, then our heart score is irrelevant because the pre-score probability is so high. Yeah, I mean, it is important to say, like, ST, elevate, ST depression is accounted for within the abnormal EKG, you know, component of the heart score. I think you can still use the score, but you'd probably be foolhardy if you're... You can't use it as a negative predictor at that point. Correct. It, well... It wouldn't lower, like, a pre-cath probability low enough to be comfortable in all right? Exactly. So if you, <laughs> to, to be specific, so a heart score of four which has a positive likelihood ratio of 0.79. So in other words, you're, it actually still is decreasing your, your probability of the disease, just not by enough to make a difference, which is what you're saying. Or a heart score of five to six, which is that intermediate risk, you know, has a positive likelihood ratio of two, so probably has value, but isn't as powerful as you might think. Like you think, oh my God, that guy definitely has ACS. And then it turns out... Right. Not quite. Maybe twenty six percent. Yeah. Good. Good. Good points. With heart scores of fours or five, and rule out, and you find. But my point is, is if you have a heart score of two, but your 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 two is a troponin five and right. depression, you're probably going to have a disease. Yes. Right? Yes. For sure. And that's one of the blind spots of the heart scores. If you enjoy the emergency medical minute, please help us out by rating us on iTunes. For more free medical education. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Make a donation and subscribe to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.